spoken lately. I haven't thought about flying for a long time. I haven't dreamed of that moment when I was alone above the clouds for a long time. I haven't dreamed of waking up in a room surrounded in blue and green grass more years than I could dream of memory. I haven't walked back into the past or scratched on the doors of my origins, where it all came from, since I held up that cape for the last time. Return to Kent Town 10th year anniversary edition is a revised version of Ambien's first poetry book. The book can be purchased from Amazon and it contains numerous additional material. Spoken Hi, it's Ambien from Spoken Label. Thank you today for streaming or downloading another episode of Spoken Label. Spoken Label was originally set up on beginning of the 2016 and as of speaking has currently nearly 300 sessions. The full archive is available on Spoken Label full stop bandcamp.com although it is available for free for stream and download if you wish i am always grateful for any sort of kind of donation to enable to me to keep the running costs of this podcast going and enjoy take care bye-bye spoken label. hi guys and the end spoken label back in the house on a tuesday evening oh and this has done one of the words then uh we're quite local today as well and i didn't realize how local we were to us i just asked this little lady about this a minute ago now we're in the world of fantasy today, but obviously not in the area my writer lives with today. Now, we've got a lady who's called Jan Foster. Jan's just bought a book out called... I'm trying to read it on the Kindle. <laughs> Useless. <laughs> Disputing Destiny. We're going to talk to her about that today. So Now, Jan, obviously, for people who don't know you then, would you first of all like to introduce yourself to everybody? So I'll tell them, obviously, who you are, where you're from, and look a bit, look a bit like yourself or to get us going. Okay, hi, I'm uh, Jan Foster and I am an author. I'm also a business consultant by day and a mummy when I can, you know, fit that fit that in around everything else. Um, I have currently got five five books out now. Gosh, you really? <laughs> I really should count them, shouldn't I? Um, but yes, my main my main series is a historical fantasy series. Uh, I live in South Manchester. And you may spot some uh, influences from the local area, from the south, uh, from the northwest, uh, and from Scotland, actually, in my work. So I'm pretty much a northern girl, even though I don't sound like it. I have lived <laughs> for quite a number of years now and consider myself a northerner. Brilliant. And Cunion, even. <laughs> well, that's more like you've got the Manc accent on you now. Oh, yeah. I can, I can put it on when I need to. <laughs> <laughs> No, obviously, like you said for now, obviously, um, here's the little bit of create your creativity, really. But where did all your writing come from originally? Then, were you like, a, did you start writing when you were much younger? Um, honest answer is probably no, no. Oh, yeah. Um, I <laughs> my, my background was uh more in the side of theatre, so I did a drama degree first of all, and I made it in directing and bossing people around and telling people what to do and there was a little bit of script writing involved there but not a not a massive amount it was just writing a few plays short things nothing amazing when I moved out of doing drama work realizing that there was not a lot of money in it and that I couldn't stand living hand to mouth and waiting on the next audition and that sort of thing I decided to go into the world of work so I did an, did an MBA 
And at that point, my professional life kind of carried on in offices, in small businesses, uh, running small businesses, and then eventually moving into growing businesses. And a lot of what I was doing was things like writing tenders. So I had a lot of writing through the course of my work. So I wrote a lot of marketing collateral, as I say, tenders, big ones, small ones, nationwide ones, local ones, etc. And I loved it. I really, really loved the writing bit. I loved pulling together what we could do. And then because my day job was actually sort of project management and program management, I loved delivering it and writing the reports and saying, hey, look, we delivered it in a nice little fancy report. So I loved the writing bit. And then I went on to maternity leave. And it was at the point where I was looking as to whether or not I was going to go back to full-time work, which was somewhat impractical because of my home situation for me to actually be able to do that with small children underfoot. My husband, who was traveling to America every other week, uh, for week so he was 50% not there. It was just not realistic for me to return to work. And he turned around and said, well, what do you really miss about work anyway? We don't, you know, <laughs> I can cover us for a bit. It's not like we need, need you to actually go out and go back to doing the job you were doing before. And I said, to be honest, the only thing I miss is the writing. I really enjoyed that. And he said, well, do that then. So I was like, okay, so great. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> so that's what I ended up doing. And the first book I wrote was a children's book because I had small children at the time. (laughs) (laughs) Brilliant. No, no, excellent. Excellent. Also, like, obviously, I know you through your, and I'm going to completely botch the pronunciation of this, your natural, is it, sort of series? Have I got that right? I'm going to set you straight on this one because everybody asks it. it, I pronounce it nature Ah, right, yeah. As in, right. it should have a Y in it, but it's got an A on the an AE on the end. So the Nature A series. Um, some people call it Nature I, Nature I. You know, Nature well, A is how I prefer to call it. Well, you did. You talk um, to dyspraxic, so my pronunciation and reading things goes absolutely out the window. Well, yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm, a fellow di- I'm a fellow dyslexic dyspraxic. So oh, yeah. oh, wow. Oh, wow. Oh, well, so what made you come up with the name for the series of this then, first of all? And that's before we go into the books. Well, a lot of the the fantasy elements of it are very much based in drawing off nature. Um, mm. The Fae, who are the main, uh, well, the main characters are Fae, but of all of the four creatures to feature in the novel, the Fae in particular are very grounded in nature and they're ancient creatures. They're, you know, beings that have been around pre-humans um, and they live in... <laughs> in peace and harmony with nature and if that nature is thrown out of balance then they are thrown out of balance as well so the main character draws her powers literally from the earth and from life so it seemed like a fitting thing um the 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 latin origins of naturae i could go into and bore you with as well but (laughs) it's generally like that i was trying to be you know, giving the impression that it's to do with nature, which it is very much. There's earth magic involved, um, and the witch is also uh, pulled from magic that's bound up in life, although they don't really realise it and acknowledge it as much as the Fae do. Right. Have you, did you always have an interest in magic then before this series came along, did you? Well, I think it was yes. <laughs> yes and no. Um, mm. I'm a bit of a, a whore when it comes to reading and genres, I will admit. I will read pretty much anything from 
political thrillers, crime, forensic, and all the way from the, the reality through to a completely fantastical. I grew up on Anne McCaffrey. Um, oh, I, I, I used to love Anne McCaffrey, yeah. Yeah, uh, and do you know, I had the honour of meeting her son oh, last wow. year, and it was amazing. <laughs> we just wow. sat there and talked and talked about her, and it was great. Oh, wow. Um, Wow. I used to, I, used to, I liked her books more about the ship who sang more actually than her books. Oh, 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 I've got to tell you this then. You liked the ship who sang. Oh, yeah. Okay. I did, yeah. Well, I will tell you how I got into writing proper then. Oh, yeah. While my husband was saying, you should try writing, I thought, okay, I'll do this. And I had a phone call from a friend of mine that I knew back in my drama days. Uh, and he's currently a film producer. And I said to him, oh, guess what, Michael? You're not going to believe this. I'm going to start writing again. He went, brilliant. I've got a project for you. And I went, what? And he goes, I've got the option on an Anne McCaffrey book. Wow. I was like, really? And he went, yeah. Do you know the ship who sang? And I went, really? What the hell? Sorry, pardon my language. Well, yeah, it's quite a funny one, really, isn't it? Hence me meeting Tom McCaffrey and and having a chat with him. So, yeah, I was basically commissioned by him to adapt A Ship Who Sang into uh, what turned out to be a pilot for a TV series. We were thinking film, but it's kind of difficult. But there's a series, it's actually five different short stories. Don't know if you've read them all. Yes, so I read them all. A long time ago, but yeah, of course. Yeah, well, there's the main one, The Ship Who Sang was the, the first one, but then she um, goes on to have other adventures and meet other worlds and other people and they all they, they sort of link through her as stories but I created a wider world where there was an ongoing story arc as well and you know did all the, the all the filmy yeah. screenwriting things that you have to do like a series bible and everything like that for it so yeah so that was <laughs> I'm so pleased to hear you say Shipping Sound because that was oh, my wow. actual wow. intro back into writing was wow. script writing because that was what I was familiar with um, and working with him as a, as a producer to package it ready to sort of put out there. And if you if you IMDb me, you'll see I've got a credit for it. I'm credited on uh, on that as well. So that's quite fun. And, oh, uh, yeah. Fantastic! Oh, you just let me gobsmacked now. <laughs> well, I know it's one one of my best mates. Another mate of mine is actually a massive Anne McCaffrey geek. My brother is as really? well, actually. Yeah. So. You know, I'm not. Oh, I used to well into science fiction when I was younger, and I could I could list tons of you. I don't get as much time nowadays, to you, but that's why you, know, you get older, you don't get time. But wow, and listen, we better talk about your books anyway, okay? Because I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't. I don't, I don't Chip who sang, you know, it's my yeah. screenplay. I've written your screenplay, it. Your yeah. McCaffrey's yeah. read it, so. Well, I could, I could I, geek I out. That a win. <laughs> I do. Uh, to quote Charlie Sheen, obviously, from Two and a Half Men, winning. Winning. <laughs> yeah, awesome. He was such a nice bloke. He really oh, was wow. the loveliest chap. He was so nice. And um, yeah, it was a real honour to meet him oh, and uh, wow, yeah. to, to give him the screenplay and say, look, uh, just oh. so you know, I did this and it was under option at the time. And, well, mm, I don't, so. Who knows what will happen in the future is all I can say with screen, screenplays. Yeah, yeah, you never know. You never know. And, I, I anybody wants to go into TV, Amazon, from, anyone from Amazon or Netflix is listening? Get in touch. We'll pass your details yeah, over. Love to. Yep. Ready done. Ready to go. Ready to go. <laughs> anyway, I want to get into your books, obviously. Then. You see, so, the, that's the problem. That's yeah. what spurs me into writing novels. Is actually, I mean, I love writing screenplays. I've, I've, you know, written a few in my time now, 
and I think to be honest because of my drama background that's where my heart kind of is in some ways because I like that head hopping and you sort of imagine in your head how it's going to look on the screen or in a, on a play in a play um but you're at, it's out of your control once you've written it as a writer you're kind of then at the mercy of an executive saying okay can you just rewrite it like this so that this happens because of that budget constraint um and before you know it your baby is kind of totally changed and that's the nature of the industry which is fine and I am happy with that if it goes anywhere that's not a problem but with writing your own stuff and publishing it for yourself you're in control and I am a bit of a control freak so I'm <laughs> Yeah. That's the appeal of novels. <laughs> I know it would be. It would leave me a bit um, gobsmacked as well, that one. That's for sure of it. Well done. Well done with that immediately. So then, obviously, we're going to talk about books, like I said, for obviously. Otherwise, we're going to end up with being an McCaffrey TV episode instead. So well, I want to keep to know about your books now. Obviously, then, tell us about, a look a bit more about then why. What, what made you why you want to go in this direction with novels? Well, um, essentially, I am also a bit of a Tudor freak. I have spent most of my life wishing, wishing upon a star that I was alive oh. uh, 500 years ago. I just think it was the most interesting uh, time in English history. Uh, there are plenty of in interesting times in English history, but as a century, it's pretty much up there with the 20th century for all the change that happened. Uh, obviously, there's all the drama, the allure of the, the kings and queens, but I've always been much more interested in how that was for how all this changed and, and you know, what was forced upon them in many ways, uh, how that affected the common man, because... I'm, you know, I'm an ordinary person and I follow politics. I'm interested in global activities as well as uh, local. And there's an effect. It does shape you as a person. And I'm interested to explore that. I'm also a bit of a nut about research. I love it. I can go down a rabbit hole all day long trying to find the name of a specific soldier that I want to cite in a book. And I've had some wonderful moments of researching for this series. So the history is where I start uh, with the novels and I look at key pivotal points in time when there was pretty seismic shift. And at the time of writing Disrupting Destiny, we were going through Brexit. <laughs> and as you may recall, oh. Oh. that was quite a seismic shift for our country. Um, and I remember sort of starting to write it because I, I decided that or I realized actually it was very much like when Henry VIII broke from Rome in 1535 and this you know he, he, he'd done it for his own personal reasons but the effect you know there was a lot of popular push for him to break from Rome don't get me wrong but the actual signing on the dotted line and making that decision was purely for his personal gain as the ruler but the effect on the common man was, you know, to polarise the entire country. And if you remember, I'm sure you do, our country felt very like that. We had neighbours that weren't talking to each other. I knew husbands and wives that couldn't even discuss it because they would just get so furious that the other one didn't agree with their point of view. And I know someone got divorced. I got on, I know someone got divorced because of it. Would you believe? Wow, <laughs> that's pretty extreme. Although I, I have um, 
I, I nearly, nearly fell out with my best friend over it. It was, you know, something we just, I never thought he would think the way he did. Totally never thought that. But <laughs> there you go. That's, wow. that's your call. Took us a while. We couldn't discuss it. And every time we did, it was very careful, very carefully spoken of. Anyway, so I, I could understand what it must have been like to have what was something so pivotal to your life as your religion and your church and everything. I mean, everything revolved around the church in those days when you could have sex revolved around that you could <laughs> I've heard, I've heard of that. i had heard of that yeah when you had a day off that was only when the church told you you could have a day off when you eat ate certain things that was when the church told you you could eat certain things so to totally ditch it throw it out the <laughs> out with the bath water not that they have any bars um you know that's, that's quite a big thing so i started with the history and then the fantasy side of it comes in because that gives you the opportunity to explore the what ifs uh, and I'm I'm a curious person. I would love to have a secret destiny. I really would. I think it would be really interesting as an observer. I think that I'm pretty sure if I lived it, knowing I had a secret that was that big, pretty sure it wouldn't be as comfortable as that. But as you as you may know from from the story, uh, eventually all secrets come out, and then it's how you deal with it. Yeah. Now. What I've been to say, I did spot him when I was reading the book based about the history side of it. So I spotted that immediately because it's a quite easy trick for a writer, I think, to fall down a rabbit hole when they're doing books like yours, when there's got to be some research done. And I certainly I got the research on it straight away. It felt pretty authentic. You, you nailed it pretty on. Now, well, obviously, <laughs> with the book that I've read, Disrupting Destiny, now yeah. it was um, it was done in most of it anyway, or certainly a good chunk of it. Was a two part. I could not two part storyline. Two separate storylines. Two that, point of view. Dual two point points of view. That's it. That's it. Yeah. Two, you tell I've had a long day today. Two points yeah. of view. Now, what made you want to go down that path then? Do it that way. Well, because I wanted it to be an adventure. Number one, mm. um, and very different to show the parallels between the the Tudor world, the real human world. I, I should explain for your listeners that the the story takes place in the human world, but that there are creatures that live hidden amongst humans. And you, you get this from the off because you have to understand the dangers that the Fae, our Fae main, main characters are, they, they're already living in hiding. Um, they're living a false life, if you like, and they're under threat because of that. As soon as they're exposed, then they have to move on. So. You've got this constant threat of people who are not quite what they seem. And in order to kind of take that adventure side of it, you, you have to have the real world. And then you've got the whole fantastical world of nature, which is totally different. It doesn't perform like a society that you would recognize, although you might if you know anything about bees. But um, yeah, it's, it's, I don't, it's I don't. <laughs> it was always going to be trying to show the parallel worlds, if you like, um, through the adventure. And that meant that basically when the main couple get separated, Joshua stays in the present, as it were, 1535, 36 present anyway. And Aoife is taken back to Nature to deal with what's going on there. So the dual point of view was because... I can't explore parallel worlds without having 
two different points of view. Yeah, no, I think it, I think it works. I generally do that because it's, I think when you're trying to explore two different worlds, like you said before, I think you've got to have it as two distinctive worlds you're doing, like world building like you were doing there. Mm. I think it works really well. I really did do it. You, you can it, see it the difference. And, yeah. yeah, it gets trickier in an anarchic destiny because there's three points of view in that one. Oh. You've got Aoife, <laughs> Joshua and Henry Fitzroy. So, yeah, you just have to be fine. It's okay. It's all good. So, oh, wow. Oh, wow. So, obviously, then, as I said, four of it. I've not read the sequel book I'll be honest with you. I've seen read the two chapters that came at the end of the first book yeah like I said before the preview but what made you want to do it in like you're saying with a prequel at the beginning of it as well well I wrote Disrupting Destiny first and mm. uh, as I was doing that I was learning a lot about the business of self-publishing and I began to realize that one of the things that a self-published author like myself needs to do is to start a mailing list and the general advice was given that you could give away um, either extracts from your book or the first few chapters, or better yet, uh, a story, a complete story that was set in your world, which would be, um, you know, it would entice readers to not only sign up to your newsletter, but hopefully then go on to buy your book. Sounds easy. I took it a little bit further and decided to challenge myself um, and through NaNoWriMo, not last year, year before, I think, mm -hmm. I thought, right, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do a prequel um, because that's that could be a nice reader magnet. And it turned into a 65,000 word novel. Oh, that's whoa. fine. Oh, whoa. That's fine. It's good. Oops. But I did. I did do it. I finished it on November the 28th. I was so oh. proud. Um, Goodness, that's really some golden eyes. Well, NaNoWriMo is 50,000 words in a month. That's yeah. the whole point. It's, Amanda, it's Amanda, my, Amanda, my wife's done that twice now, she has. And, and she's managed it both times. And... I couldn't do yeah. it. I, yeah. I do it's, I do I do takes... I do Napoino, National Poetry Writing Month. I've done that for two right. years now. I can manage that at least 30 poems in a month. <laughs> 50 pounds of words. Yeah, that's, that. that's quite I have my hair going grey, that would do. Or are they haikus? Oh <laughs> uh, well this year's was. <laughs> I did this year. In fact, last year's was as well. But uh, some years I've done more well, I've done I've been doing longer ones and others. Just time sometimes. Yeah. Like I'm very busy, but I said, well, for 60 pounds, pounds words, wow. <laughs> well, so the, but the prequel is, uh, <laughs> I, I don't, I think it was because, because I've written Disrupting Destiny and mm. uh, the, the kind of the bad character, the, the, the threat, if you like, apart yeah. from the existential threat, is uh, Queen Lana. Mm. And having written Disrupting Destiny, I was really keen to sort of show her story and in, perhaps show her in a more sympathetic light because uh, sometimes I always feel like well it's a bit of a, a nitpick I have when I read uh, other people's stories and they've got bad guys who are just bad for the sake of being bad and it's a little bit of a bugbear of mine because I think nobody's born bad you're made bad by your circumstances or your situation or your experiences and it really irks me when I read a book and there's just like this big bad you know king or whatever that's invading and he wants world domination but why well, you know well, there's no motive behind it so I was very conscious when I was writing Disrupting Destiny that Lana had to have a reason for why she behaves the way that she does and then I wanted to write that in uh in a prequel 
just also because you know what there's not many villain stories is there really I can't think no. of many. Not many you know, good villains. Not many good villain stories. Character stories, but not many villains. And I thought, well, you know, I'm going to take a risk. <laughs> risking yesterday, and I'm going to write the villain story. And as well, the problem was, it is it is a tragic romance. So um, I can't sell it as a romance because there's no happy ever after. <laughs> it may be a romance, but you can't sell it. It's not. It's not. It doesn't have the happy ending like he said. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. Oops. Yeah. Yeah. I could, I could write an alternative version, I suppose, but then disrupting destiny wouldn't happen, and Eva wouldn't be, and that just doesn't work. So. No, no, you've got to, you've got to do it definitely that one. So, and also, yeah. so we have hinted before, like for, <coughs> pardon me, that uh, obviously there is a, what a second book, or is it? I don't know. Do you say the third in the series? It's third in the series, really, isn't it? Well, it's the second in the main series yeah. because Risking Destiny, the prequel, is set in Viking times. And I have to confess, the setting was because Vikings. Or who doesn't like who doesn't like Vikings? <laughs> I love Vikings. You're gonna love history. You've got to love Vikings, haven't you? I mean, they're just they're just. There again, they're another force of nature that are, I think, underappreciated. So I was trying to give a more sympathetic portrayal of Vikings and less kind of invading marauders and more, actually, do you know what? They were traders, they were, you know, they went and, and yes, they did dominate some parts of the world, but really they were the, the first explorers. Without <laughs> them, we would have no global trade. Unbelievable. Fair point, fair point. So, yeah. Um, I've forgotten the question now. <laughs> You're not the only one. I know. Okay. Uh, move on to book number two then in the main series. Two. Now, yes. obviously, um, when you went into book number two then, how did that compare to writing that? We can't talk about the prequel because the prequel obviously wrote, was wrote out. Wrote well, I have to admit, I, I learned a lot of lessons from doing the prequel. Hmm. Disrupting Destiny was an adventure as much for me as it was as it is for the reader, because I had literally no idea where I was going next. It was a total monster novel. I like to call it a planster because I had a vague idea of where it was going, but really it was the characters just kind of took it where it was going rather than me being quite authoritative and saying, no, this is what's going to happen in this scene and that scene and that scene. Oh, well, I like um, <laughs> But I, I learned my lesson. And in order to do Risking Destiny in a month, I knew I had to plot it properly. Um, so I learned how to do proper plotting on that. Oh, yeah. And then Anarchy Destiny, because there were three points of view and because there were very, very specific dates mm. for that that I needed to hear. I mean, Disrupting Destiny is great because it's just sort of, oh, Christmas 1553 and there's this change coming up to the church and da 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 But in Anarchic Destiny, it takes place 17 years later. It's so specific. Um and I needed to really work out a pretty major timeline with things like how long would it take to sail from that place to that place? And if you were riding a horse, how long would it take you to ride in Tudor times on Tudor roads from that place to that place? Yeah. And is that reasonable? And so there's, <laughs> there's a lot, a lot of background work that went into it before that. Um, I'm always a believer. I'm always a believer with books. So I know it's from doing poetry books myself, it's the same rules apply really. Each book you write is a reaction to the previous book. Yeah. And I think as a writer, you've got to learn from every yeah. book you do because no book is the same, really. And yeah. I suspect that's, that's the case. 
yeah. by learning, then kind of what's the point? <laughs> yeah. So I won't need to ask them. By the time we get to book 20 in this series, you can have 20 points of view in that book. Well, there's, there's already been, I had originally planned out a whole uh, story arc, which would take four, possibly five books. And that would cover the whole of the Tudor century effectively. Um, and there are some key dates in there that tie in with what is happening with the overall storyline. Hmm. Um, so that was that was my original plan. And then what's happened subsequent <laughs> to making that grand plan <laughs> was that I went to a pretty large conference in Las Vegas in November and had the horrible realisation that much as though I love Risking Destiny as a reader magnet and as a book, I think it's a great book. I still do. I still pick it up and read it. I must have read that one more than any other book I've written, bizarrely. Um, but it doesn't because it's not <laughs> because it's not a happy ever after it doesn't bring people into my world as well as it could right. so it stands alone very well but what i i think is happening is that there's not enough people going oh i want to read more of those characters they do when they read disrupting destiny they, they you know they both like him everybody seems to have a favorite the side characters, etc., are getting some attention as well, which is lovely. But because Queen Lana and, and Sigurd are just so self-contained, it doesn't lead into the main series, possibly because there's 800 years time difference as well. I mean, you know, <laughs> so what I'm doing now, and again, this is all part of the learning curve. You know, you go, you do something, it sort of works. It's working in terms of getting my, my mailing list up there and I get a lot of people that love Vikings on my mailing list. Unfortunately, I don't get a lot of people that love Judas on it. And the main series is Judas. So I've now doing another prequel, which will become <laughs> a, a, a reader magnet as well as obviously you can buy it, but it will also replace Risking Destiny as my reader magnet. And I hope that that will mean that my people that are joining my mailing list are more engaged. And also it's a result of people saying yeah but your couple they're already a couple when we meet them I don't know anything about them I don't know how they got together 100 years ago I don't know so I thought okay <laughs> people are asking me that question they ask it in interviews so how did you main couple because it's interesting it's unusual to have a couple already together for a series normally a series is the couple getting to know each other getting together having an adventure and then they go on to their happy ever after well my couple start with their happy ever after. It gets ripped to pieces, but they start with it. So because I was getting quite a lot of questions like that on, on interviews that I was doing with readers in Facebook groups and stuff, I thought, right, I'm going to have to just knuckle down. I'm going to have to write this prequel and I'm just going to have to do a romance. Dun, dun, dun. I think it shows you in the jump of that. And this is what I think you're doing very you're doing very well here. Is like you're obviously you're looking at a situation, what's happened, and you're changing it, you're realizing what works and what doesn't work. And it's probably gonna cost you an extra novel in the process, but hey. Oh. It's okay. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I know. <laughs> the, uh, your next set of next set of books have only been the American West, anyways. If you couldn't do radical western next your, your, your carriages, <laughs> won't you? No, no, I'm sticking with this. Actually, I was about to tell you that I'm sticking with this genre and I'm totally <laughs> lying, completely lying. <laughs> oh, now, what I always like to ask you, obviously, 
um, to start wrapping up with really is obviously what plans you've got next. But I think you've pretty well covered most of that, Daniel, really, haven't you? So, <laughs> well, I have and I haven't. So, obviously, there's three currently published Naturae mm. series, and I'm working on another prequel, which mm. I've just told you about. Um, at the same time as that, which is why it's getting a little bit confusing, um, another thing that's happening is I am co authoring a historical thriller. <laughs> yeah, totally different time period. Not the time period I would particularly have chosen, but I'm getting quite into World War II now. I've been spending six months doing it. Um, now, obviously, then, with the book being in development, I don't want to go into too much for you, obviously, but we can, it is fair to ask, what made you want to co write a book? Well, there's two reasons, quite frankly. One is a business reason, which is that. Um, backlist and uh, numbers of books that you have available are critical to business success you know the more mm. essentially the more products you can offer the wider the range of products that you can offer that are still going to interest the readers that you have then the more likely they are to kind of buy another book that is by you uh, so that's that's purely practical sense uh, second reason for this co-authoring was quite simply I have grown to the stage after two years of writing now that I was feeling confident enough to take an opportunity. Um, and an opportunity was presented with an award-winning historical thriller writer. So I thought, well, okay, I'll apply. I'll send her some samples of my work. I'll do what she asks and we'll see how we get on. And that was back in Christmas time. So, oh, wow. Six yeah. Ago, yeah. yeah, and yeah. Uh, we're, we're, we're on to the uh, second draft of the historical thriller and talking about the next book. So, <laughs> now obviously, I don't, I don't want to go into too much on that. So, obviously, that'll come out of his own due course. Yeah, but... I mean, it's, it, that's a longer process because there's a lot more. It's been a learning curve for both of us. That's what I was wondering about. Well, could you possibly tell us a little bit about the learning curve on it then? And how you actually, obviously, don't, I don't need to know the plot, obviously, but how yeah. you actually wrote the book then? Have you done like chapter and taking turns in chapters or points of well, view? Well, um, she had an outline already in mind mm. i i went through it and changed bits of it because i it, it made more sense to my personal interests and the bits that she was suggesting that i could write versus the bits that she was suggesting she could write and it was all you know very open mm. you know nothing was off the table uh and so we kind of each, we, we worked out some ideas on how we would section the book and write the bulk of the text. And then the other person would basically go through it, add in bits, make changes, et cetera, and all that sort of stuff. Um, and it, it kind of, this, this particular book takes place from 19, 1932 in mm. Bavaria, stretching all the way to 1954 in New York. Whoa. So it was actually easy in that sense for us to say, right, okay, I'm going to deal with, the resistance in Paris, you're going to deal with 1950s in New York, and that way you're reducing the amount of time you have to do a lot of research. And she'd already got some specialist areas in there already because she writes in that, that time period anyway. So once we'd got that agreed, we went away, wrote our bits, had horrendous time with things like Google Docs and shared documents and have decided never again and now we have a very complicated system of naming naming 
conventions for word documents oh. that get saved up to the cloud and then when you download it then you have to reach it oh it's very complicated oh, wow. but it's just about working and then one of us will stick it all together and we've got to do that soon and, and send it off to the editor which would be nice well done, well done. next so... time we're going to start in Scrivener and not even go through all of that <laughs> do you have any sort of idea when this is going to get released yet then I mean you're not sure yet I'm I'm hoping I'm hoping towards the end of the year, because that would be a reasonable time frame. Um, we're, we're sort of, we keep toing and froing on some details and the, we've got a bit of a delay because she's also a serial entrepreneur and has many other things that she juggles. So her time to devote to this is limited. My time to devote to it is perhaps limited now because of the, the urgency of getting my prequel written. So yeah, yeah we <laughs> we wrote it frantically, finished the first draft in two months, which was fine, um, and then basically let it sit for a while, and now we're picking it back up again and going, oh, <laughs> wow. right, we need to do this now, don't we? Yeah, so the redraft <laughs> and the rewrites are happening right now. Good luck with it, definitely. Now, obviously, Thank I know, you. I know where I know. Obviously, general people, people are interested, can find all your books in the usual places. But your main website seems to be escapeintoatail.com. Is that correct? That's right. Yes, that's uh, right. Why? Yes. What made you want to go with Escape Into a Tail as your website? Because, title? because everybody loves to escape when you read a book and you get drawn into that world. And I was told pretty early on that, that my my work is like that it is it is escapism and that's what I, I wanted to bring I've always tried to bring that element of transporting the reader back in time or to another place and I really wanted to get across the that that's what a reading is for me and what I hope I bring to my readers is an escape into a tale so Brilliant. Brilliant. Well, good luck with it, definitely, Jan, with that. So keep in touch, and I would love to bring you back on again in ne next year, Thank maybe you. after the thriller comes out, and then we can we can go into more sordid details about how you nearly killed each other or disagreeing <laughs> over certain parts of the book. That's not really. <laughs> not really. It's weird because the only conflicts we have have been where one of us is trying not to be offending the other one, so we're putting it very carefully. <laughs> And then only to realise that actually we were on the same wavelength all along and we just go, oh. why were we being so careful? Why didn't we just go out with it? Oh, brilliant. <laughs> I think it shows sometimes, doesn't it, when you're co-writing. I've done lots of co-writing. And you didn't, to, when you get to know the person, how they work, it becomes a lot easier to do it that way then. Yeah. And like, yeah. obviously, like, further down the line, it's, it's like the first book is always like getting used to it. Because like uh, me and my wife, we've co-wrote couple of books together and the first one was a total accident <laughs> when the second oh, really? one well, yeah it was yeah first one was um, we, we did um, a series of seven word poems and what we right. were doing was Amanda put one up online she was trying to do it for submission she's a poet and novelist herself and um, she put mm. one on I think it was Twitter trying to write for a, for a submission call for a six word poem she couldn't manage it she could only get seven so she put it on Twitter and I got clever and wrote a sarcastic response to her by WhatsApp, and it ended up becoming a book. <laughs> <laughs> That's why it's like, then, then, 
Yeah, that's what happened with an accident, but we've done another three books since together, and they've always they flow a lot easier, probably because we knew what yeah. we were doing more than that stage. And that's something it's like. I think really, if you work, it? you know, if you're husband and wife, then you should know each other a little bit, shouldn't you? Yeah. You shouldn't take offense either. No, we don't. She just tells me it tells me I wrote crap. She tells me that so yeah. <laughs> to the point. So brilliant, Jan. And listen, good luck with the books. Keep in touch now. We'll wrap up here today. So Thank you again today. I've really, really enjoyed this today. And you've, I did not expect that bit about Anne McCaffrey at the beginning of it. So that was a great start. <laughs> that was funny, but thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Andy. It's been yeah. lovely to chat to you. As always, a little jam. So anyway, guys and girls, now, that's it for today. So Al Stone Callis over Impact Wrestling says, stay safe and stay over. And we will see you all next time. Spoken, mate.